Hey, thanks for being here. We're glad that you come out and being with us in the middle of the week here on Thursday. We're thrilled that you come into the house of God. A couple weeks ago, I introduced our very first prayer point uh, here at Eastside, something we're going to do uh, from time to time. won't do it every weekend, uh, but every once in a while, we're going to do a thing called a prayer point. And if you weren't here, a prayer point is kind of a really big ticket item that has kingdom significance, okay? So we're talking about some big stuff here that has the potential to make a difference in the kingdom of God. So it's big ticket type stuff, and we're just gonna boldly ask God to take care of it. And that's what a prayer point is gonna be. We're gonna kinda get almost known for that here at Eastside that we do prayer points on a frequent basis. Now, when we do those, if you were here again, you learned that we do it together. All of us do this together. There are three things that you do. Uh, number one, you stand up when we do it. Number two, you lift your arms toward heaven. We do that. And then the third thing you do is you pray about this um, for the next week. Every time you think about it, you pray about that prayer point. So we introduced that a couple weeks ago. And our very first prayer point, we asked that God would begin to place Christian influence in very important worldly circles so that God would have a voice in some of those places. And so we just kind of prayed about that. And we boldly said, God, would you take care of that? And so two weeks ago, we did that. And since then, I just keep getting information of how God has begun to answer that very prayer. A man from our church was offered a leadership position in the public school, and God had been working through that and made all that happen in the middle of that. Our high school pastor was invited to speak to a local high school football team, and so he spoke to the kids there. Uh, and just so you know, God is not bound by space or time. Is that right? Okay, he's not bound by that. And so I got a report today I heard about in San Jose, California, the high school system there, this whole school system, uh, did away with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You cannot meet in our schools. And so they said you can't do it. And FCA took them to court, and yesterday a federal judge said, oh, yes, you can meet. And today, FCA was back in the school system, okay? So here's, here's the deal. God hears these prayer points. He hears them. And so we're going to be devoted to them uh, here at Eastside. And so before I preach uh, this weekend, I want to introduce another very important prayer point that we're going to get passionate about here in a few minutes. I'm going to put it up on the screen and read it to you. We're going to ask God that he would draw middle and high school students to our church right here at Eastside in order that they may hear about Jesus and turn their lives toward him. Now, the hard thing about prayer points for me is that I want to preach about that right now, and i got to hold myself back from that because I've got a lot to say about how incredibly important that table turns right now in our culture. It is desperately needed more than you ever know, and if it doesn't change, then 25, 35 years down the road, we're in for a world of hurt when it comes to the kingdom of God. And so this is a big deal, and I'm starting to preach about it, and I can't do that, okay? So we're gonna do this. We're gonna ask God right now, would you take care of that? Would you deal with that? 
And so we're all going to participate. So let me ask you, first of all, everybody stand up. Okay, that is your agreement into this prayer. I'm going to ask you to lift up a hand, but I had a really good idea about that given to me this week. And so I want to I do that, okay? I want your hand to be like this. It's like you are handing this prayer to the Father. And while you have your hand up there, let me pray. Father, we give to you right now one of the biggest needs that we see in our world right now, and that is young men and young women, our middle school kids and our high school kids who are dealing with things in school that most of us never dreamed we'd ever deal with. And Father, you know more than anybody, they need your son. And so in boldness, in absolute boldness, we are laying in your lap, we're laying it right before your throne, would you draw them to this church, the schools in this area, all around us, and you can do that in any way you choose to do. You can have families drive by our building and realize they need to bring their kids here. You can have friends, invite friends. You do whatever you want to do. Would we see the fruit of that so that young men and young women will fall in love with Jesus and change the trajectory not only of their own life, but potentially down the road the trajectory of this world. And we boldly, boldly right now, as players, lay this before you, believing that you will answer it. And together we say, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. Give it up for God who's already going to answer it for us, okay? All right, all right. Okay, you can have a seat. So we are in this, uh, this teaching right now where we're studying through this uh, first church in Jerusalem, chapters 2 through 7. So you've been with us, you understand um, what, we're, what we're dealing with here. And what we find out in those, those uh, chapters is that that very first church absolutely took over the city of Jerusalem. I mean, they just, they just took it over. It became their own community. And so today we're in chapter six. So we're nearing toward the end of that study. And I want you to know that before I jump into this, uh, this is one of the most frustrating passages of Scripture I've preached on in a very, very long time. I've been mad about it all week, and I'm still mad about it right now. And once in a while, I'm really excited, and sometimes I get frustrated, and I get frustrated with this text. And I'll share you that here in a few minutes. And right now, some of y'all thinking, what are you saying? I mean, it's his word. Are you mad at him? Uh, you understand my frustration in a minute. So we get to Acts chapter 6, and we're finding out in this section of material that there are things that happened in Jerusalem, and gang, if, if we can figure out how to pick it up and make it happen here, then we too will take our city, man, we'll take our communities. And so we arrive at chapter 6, and something happens that if you've never read it, it's like, I didn't see that coming and it frustrates the fire out of me. Acts chapter six, I'm gonna read seven verses. I'm gonna have just the first verse on the screen. 
And then I'm going to read the rest of them to you so you kind of catch the flavor of it. So chapter 6, verse 1 says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we got a problem. Verse 2 then reads like this. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, you choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Sounded like I knew how to pronounce all their names. Didn't I? I just made every one of them up. That's a, that's a little trick for you when you're reading. You just make it up and people think, man, that dude knows how to read it. So Nicholas is the last one. And they were all from Antioch. Nicholas was a convert to Judaism. He said this, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, here's my frustration. There are so many things in those seven verses that I would love to preach about, but I can't. There is a wealth of information that is vitally important for the church, for Christian people, that you and I absolutely have to know about. And the frustrating part of that is that I know I can't do that. I can't dive into all those things in there. And let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. There's one part of that passage that talks about the growth of the church. And I would give anything in the world to be able to talk about the growth of the church. And it's just completely full in that text about how God intends the church to grow. Let me show you something real quick. I'm not going to preach about it, but I want you to say it real quick. From chapter 2 to chapter 7, four different times God tells us that the number of people who are in the church, we're calling them players, okay? The number of players became more and more. Four different times he tells us that. Now, let me show you how, how he tells us. It's just kind of really cool to me, so let me show you. In chapter 2, verse 41, we find out that the number was added to, and that's where 3,000 people joined, okay? So we got 3,000 players in chapter 2. We get to chapter 5, we are told again that the number is added to more. And we find out in this location that now they have 5,000 men, 
There's so many people, they can't even count them all. They just count the guys. We're probably north of 10,000 people who have become a part of this. Then we move to chapter six, and now we find a critical change. This is why I'm mentioning this to you, is that he does not tell us in chapter six that there were more people added to the number. He uses the word, the number was increasing. It is the same word used in other locations to refer to multiplying. We're now not adding people, we're multiplying people. I mean, it's crazy what is happening in, in the city of Jerusalem. And then we see it again in the sixth chapter, the number again is increasing and multiplying. So why is all that important? It is the will of God for you and I to reach as many people as we possibly can to be players on the team. Can somebody say amen to that? Okay, but I can't talk about that, okay? Because that's not the focus that I'm gonna deal with, although I want to, but I can't. It's frustrating, but I can't. Let me show you something else. Also, this comes up. Caring for the elderly in the church. I mean, it just comes up out of that text over and over. And let's just be honest about this, okay? Be honest about this. I don't know a church anywhere. I've never heard of a church who brags about their ministry to older people. I've never heard of that. But man, that was a big deal to them, how they treated the elderly among them. It was a huge issue. A couple days ago, I heard a shepherding pastor back in our office area, John Talbot. Many of you have been around here for for a long time. You know John, and John takes care of our people, man. He shepherds our flock. And and John was leaving the building, kind of yelled out that he was going to go see a lady, and he said the lady's name. I'm going to go visit, and he said her name. She's 99 years old. She's a part of our church. She's here almost every Sunday because she's a what? She's a player, okay? And uh, she's getting to the point where she's starting to get shut in. And so John says, I'm gonna go visit her. And I heard him say that in my office. And I remember thinking, I know everything on his plate right now. I know everything John's got going on right now. And there might not be a more holy thing that he will do all day than go see her. In the first century, it was a big deal how we took care of older people. And I didn't think much about that when I was younger. That never entered my head. And now, and now that I tee off from the senior tee box, I'm starting to think about that a little bit. And I would love to play with that with you today, but I can't do it. It's not the point of the text. And so that's frustrating to me. I'd like to talk to you about this. Let me show you another one. I'd like to talk to you about church leadership, okay? Because we find dynamic things about the people who lead churches, pastors and elders and different people like that. And and we read about the character of those guys and the task that that which they do. We read about how the rest of the family is to follow the leadership of the leaders in the church. We, We find all that. And I know today, I've been around long enough to know that healthy congregations have healthy leaders. And when there aren't healthy leaders, there is no healthy congregation. I would love to talk about that, but I can't. It's not the point of the text. I'd love to talk about this 
sacrificial generosity. Some of y'all thinking, I knew you'd bring money into it, bro. I knew you'd bring money into it somewhere. I'd love to talk about that. Because if you paid attention to the story, this first church, okay, in Jerusalem, that took over their city. They apparently, it seems to us, they apparently had people who would just bring money and they would give it to their leaders and say, just give it to whoever needs it, whoever needs it. And, and it was sacrificial. Some of them sold land. Some of them sold their homes. They sold things to bring it and say, just give it wherever it's needed. Just do that. Man, I would love to talk to you about that. They were players. They weren't imposters. And I, I want that to, to hit you a little bit. God finances his ministry work through his people. He has no other plan for that. And so regular sacrificial offerings are critical for a church to be strong. And I'm a preacher, I'd love to talk about that, but I can't do it, it's not the point of the text. And so I sat down this week, I'm working through all this, and all this stuff is coming up, man. I'm thinking, man, I'd love to talk about that, but that's not the point. Okay, that's not the point. Neil, you feel me, brother? Because we talk about that all the time, man. There's so much in the Word of God. Well, then Hastings, what's the point, okay? What is it? And so if I had to narrow it down about what happens in chapter 6 that help them take their city, it comes down to this. I want you to understand this. They provided godly answers to ungodly problems. And you're going you're gonna to catch that as we work through that because they had the ability to see things and say, now that's not right. That is not right what's happening here. That is wrong what is going on there. That is not true. And instead of sticking their head under the sand or just whining about how bad things were, they had this about them that they knew we got to get involved in that and we gotta fix that which isn't right. And it's a very powerful principle about how you and I will be able to take our city. So I want you to think about that for yourself for just a second. When you see something that you look at and go, man, that is not right, that is wrong, that should never happen, what do you do about it? How do you react to that? I react because of my human nature, I react impulsively. And I might say something or do something that if I would have thought about it for a little bit, I probably wouldn't have reacted that way. I had somebody share with me the other day that they were kind of feeling that impulsive nature and somebody who cared for them very much said, why don't you just think about it for an hour and then decide if you're gonna do that. Is anybody impulsive like me, okay? You just kind of jump in there like a bull in a china shop. I shared with you a, a long time ago that um, I was having dinner one time with my wife and the table next to us, there were some young guys there and they were, they were, they were just being really loud and vulgar and inappropriate and I just lost my mind and I got up from my own table and I went and sat down at their table and I asked them not to talk like that in front of my wife. And I, I think probably when it was all said and done, I, I didn't influence them at all through my impulsiveness at all. And I could have got killed doing that as I look back to that. I remember the time I was getting gas at a gas station right down the road here, and I'm pumping my gas, and I see this big sign that they're giving away free hot dogs and Cokes that day. And I thought, 
I'm having lunch right here, and I'm pumping my gas, and a lady comes out. She's got two hot dogs and one of those big gulps, okay? She comes out, gets in her car. She's parked right at the front door, and she's just chowing that food in, and when she's done, she threw her wrappers right on the ground. I thought, how, how did she do that? And then she had her gulp. She took about a drink and threw the whole thing out on the ground, and I know it wasn't any of my business, but I couldn't stop myself. I went over there and told her to pick it up. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then she gave me one of those words that I heard them kids say at the table. I probably wasn't helpful at all. Do you tend to be that way? When you see something that's not right, man, do you just kind of jump in there like that without thinking about it much at all? I remember reading a story about Christian Herder. Mr. Herder was governor state of Massachusetts back in the 1950s. And uh, Mr. Herder was having a, uh, one of the big campaign rallies to raise money. It was a picnic at a farm. And he'd been driving all day long. He showed up at the, the picnic to raise money for himself. And he's going through the food line and they got fried chicken. And there's a lady behind there handing out all the fried chicken. And Christian Herder comes by, he's got his plate. She puts a, a piece of chicken on there. And he said, ma'am, I am starving. Can I have another piece of chicken? And she says, sorry, bud, one per person. And he goes, I'm really hungry. I've been going all day. Can I just have one little piece more? She said, sorry about your luck, bud, one per person. And he looked, do you know who this is all for? Do you know that? This is for me. Do you know who I am? I'm the guy running for governor. She said, do you know how I am? I'm the lady who hands out the chicken. Now get on that line. Well, she probably didn't help him at all. Do you have that about you? That you see something wrong, you see a problem, and just kind of jump in there without thinking through it? Man, we gotta figure this out as a church. If we're gonna take our city, okay, if we're gonna take our city, then we gotta know how to approach the problems of the world. If you think our world has problems, would you just sneak your hand up real quick, bring it right back down so nobody sees it? Okay, we gotta figure out what we do about that. And the answer isn't to hide under a table. And the answer isn't to come out with both barrels. The answer is given to us in chapter 6. And it enabled them to take their city. So what was the problem in chapter 6? What's going on? Well, the problem in chapter 6 was nothing other than a form of racism. If you ever wonder, is racism ever in the Bible? Did we learn anything about how we ought to handle that? You ought to go to chapter 6 because there's a form of that happening right here. And it had leaked into the church. Let me, let me show you how it happens. I, I brought a whole thing here I want you to look at. There were two kinds of Jewish people in the first century. There were a group called the Hebrews and a group called the Hellenists. And they were both Jewish people, but they were on the different sides of the fence. Hebrews lived in Judea. Hellenists lived outside of Judea. And so they lived in different places. And so they kind of looked at each other as, oh, you're from the other side of the tracks, okay? 
They also spoke different languages. The Hebrews spoke in Aramaic. That's what Hebrew people spoke in, in the first century. The Hellenists spoke Greek. So if you had a Hebrew and a Hellenist together, they couldn't even understand each other. So when the Hellenists went to McDonald's in Jerusalem, the workers couldn't understand what they were trying to say. And so they didn't even, didn't even, didn't even speak the same words. They also lived differently, they acted differently, because the Hebrews followed Jewish culture and the Hellenists followed Greek culture. And so we've got human beings who have all kinds of different stuff, and because of that, they didn't get along. And those from the Hebrew section tended to think the Hellenists were kind of like, you know, you're the second class people. You're kind of the stepchild type stuff. And so that, that sense of a form of racism existed and it had leaked inside of the church. The ungodly problem that was in the community that now leaked into the church dealt with how they fed their older widows. Remember how I said they were generous and they'd bring funds and they use it forever. Anybody need it, just take care of them. And one of the things they took care of in a group, which we estimate somewhere between 20 and 30,000 people, okay? They, they did this. If you were a widow and you didn't have a family to take care of you, we will feed you every day. And so what tended to start to happen was they would take this common fund that people had donated to, they put food together, and they fed these older ladies every day, and they fed the Hebrews first. Now wrap your head around that for a second. And if there was food left, then the Hellenists got it. And that meant on some days... The Hellenist widows didn't eat. And there's a word in the text in the first verse that will break your heart if you understand it. It said that the Hellenist widows tended to be overlooked. The word overlooked, let me tell you what that word means. It means to look past. So think about this. And I feel the horror in the room as you're hearing this. You can't even believe this was going on in the church. And this, this will just rock you. Here's what the word overlook means. Let's say I've got the plate of food, and I've got one plate of food left, and I'm looking out who to give it to, and there's 10 Hellenist widows right in front of me. And I'm, I'm looking around them, and under, I'm looking if I can find a Hebrew widow somewhere. And that was going on in the city, and it had leaked into God's church. Now, everybody stay with me. If a church is really going to take our city, and we're real serious about that, then we got to face the fact that the city is going to have ungodly problems that must be addressed, because sometimes those will leak in here. And so it just, it's a bit overwhelming. I mean, you can do your own list. I did, I did mine. I just started writing some of the problems that I'm aware of in the city. Racism, teenage pregnancy, poverty, 
crime, sexual identity, sexual expressions, divorce, addiction, debate over absolute truth, education and inequality. I mean, just keep going down all the problems in the city. And so what do we do about it? Now, now, throughout this series, I've asked you to understand the passion that I want to exist within our church. I'm not just talking about a, a pretty little sermon here. I'm serious about this. How would we ever take our city? How will that happen? We cannot turn a blind eye to what's happening out there. We can't do it. And we gotta figure a way to offer help and fix problems before they get here. You just can't overlook it. And so you go back to that text, and now you understand why this is so important and why I was frustrated. All these other things that are really good things to talk about that we ought to deal with, man, they are superseded. They're, they're put in the shadows compared to this. What are you going to do about these problems? And so as I look at how they responded, from my perspective, I see some things that I want to throw at you. And I'm just going to kind of rifle through them real quick so that you can get an idea. I, I want to talk, first of all, about this idea of position. They, they understood that in an incredible way, and you and I got to figure out somehow how to figure that too. So the Hellenists come up and they complain. Hey, our girls aren't getting any food. You're giving all the food to their girls. We're not giving them. And they complain against the leadership, Okay. They're talking to the pastor. They're talking to the elders. Here they're talking to the apostles. That what are we going to do about that? And what I want you to see is what is not in here. The leaders don't listen to them and say, would you guys just be quiet? Would you quit whining and complaining? Would you just suck it up and deal with it? They, they didn't do any of that. They didn't push them off in any way. What they did is they heard about the problem, listen to this, and they said, that's not right. That's not right. That's a problem. And there was an ability within the first church to be able to understand the difference between right and wrong. And when they understood that difference, they had no problem in landing on a position with it. Here's our position about that. Now, it's interesting if you say, okay, how'd they come up with a position? How did they say, that's not right? Well, we found that out last week. Because if you were with us last week, we were talking about Peter and John, and they're healing people and preaching, and they throw them in jail. And then they get out the next morning, they let them go because they can't find anything on them, and they tell them, but do not speak the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do that. And we didn't talk about it too much last week, but here's what they said to the authorities, and I love this. Check this out. Well, you judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Now, here's what they did. When they found problems, when they said things that's not right, what they did was to evaluate what had God said about that. And whatever God said about it, that's our position. Even if it's different from the world, this is where we land. This is what we do. And isn't it interesting 
that the Holy Spirit, without Aquila and I talking anything at all about the things we're going to preach about and sing, we, we, didn't, we didn't convulge this together. And, and this service, he taught us a new song called, I Will Take You At Your Word. That's what they did. And they set themselves and made a position on that. This is where we stand. Now, let me tell you why I think that's important. Because standing on the word of God has a greater impact in the world than not standing on the word of God. And I'm going to prove it to you. Now, one of the things I do as a pastor, it's part of my responsibility here, okay? One of the reasons why I get paid for what I do is I study what we do. I find out, you know, how do you do church? What is involved in church? I'm, I'm a student of all that stuff. And I want to tell you something that we're learning this year. And when I say we, I'm not talking about Eastside. I'm talking about the kingdom of God on the whole, primarily in America. Here's what we're finding out. That there are some churches, some congregations in America that are thriving right now. And there are other congregations that are absolutely dying and doors are being closed and churches are being shut up. And you say, well, what's the difference between those two? What's the difference between thriving churches and dying churches? Here's what we can tell you. We know this, that churches who are struggling with what the word of God says, that God says this, but man, that's not what our world is teaching right now. And they're trying to work through all that and they're, they're doubting some of this and we're not real sure if we're gonna believe that anymore and we're not sure if we're gonna teach and preach or stand on that. Here's what we know about those churches. They are dying right and left. And if I were a rascal, I'd bring up some congregations within 15 miles of where you and I sit right now that are doing everything they can just to pay their light bill. And you say, what's happening? Happening is the abandonment of their position. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? But watch this. Here's what we've learned. The churches in today's world who are saying, I take you at your word, okay? I stand on that. I've seen it work. Here, here's what we're finding. Today, right now, in the fall of 2023, churches that are conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches, today, right now, they average 22% higher numbers of people than they did one year ago. Now, COVID had some of that emphasis pulling that together, but we're experiencing 22% growth in churches that believe in the Bible. Eastside is right there at 24%. I'm telling you that when you seek the position that we will stand on the word of God, that that works. And when you doubt the word of God, it is your death sentence. So how do we approach when we see problems in the world? We find out what God says about it. I've, I've shared with a few circles. I shared with our life group and I shared with our staff and elders one day. I do most of my study as a, a student, particularly in August, but throughout the year too, at a college in our area. It's one of the best religious libraries in America. It's housed at a very conservative, Bible-believing Christian college. 
and they let me go and, and use their resources. It's an incredible place. And so I went there the first week in August during my study break. I started doing some work there, and then I found out their library was under construction, remodeling, and so I couldn't use it anymore. And I, I, I was there, and, and, and school wasn't even in session yet, man. It hadn't even started yet. And there are a gazillion people there, man. They're happy. It is a, it is a sense of incredible life and joy on that campus. It's, it's amazing. And some of y'all know the place that I'm talking about. I thought, man, I, 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 can't, I can't do my stuff here. And I found that there was another library in the near vicinity that they had many of the same resources that the first one did that they would let me use. And so I went there, and this library is housed by a Christian religious denomination that is abandoning this. And they're struggling through this. And if you've read any religious news in the last 10 years, you would know who I'm talking about. And they're doubting whether God really meant that or whether that's for today. And they're struggling through it. And I spent all August at that library and the most numbers of people that I saw all month long, two. It was a sense of deadness. And so you and I gotta figure out how how we gonna impact the world? How are we really going to take the city? We got to find problems and figure out where does God land? And that's our position. What does God say about this? What does God say about that? What does God say? That is our position. Everybody with me so far? Everybody with me on that? Okay, now watch what happens in the sixth chapter because there's another aspect that comes on and that is besides position, there is this aspect of compassion. Now watch this because I think it's beautiful how it comes up. So we've got this problem of this form of racism made its way into the congregation. The apostles say, that's not right. God doesn't want that to happen. And then there's something in the weeds that it's hard to see, so I'm gonna kinda bring it up to you. So these Hellenist people come, they complain to the apostles, and the apostles say, well, go find seven people who'll take care of this. And so we got those names come up that I made up some of the names as I read through them. And all seven of the names, listen carefully, are Greek names, which means They let the Hellenists figure it out. So when they came and complained, they didn't tell them, well, just suck it up and deal with it. They said this, you know what? You're the ones that are hurt. You'll know how to fix this better than anybody. Tell us how we can treat you better. And they let them fix it. And what we're finding out is the ability to express your position with compassion. And those two things must equally 
be involved in our solving of the problems of the world. It sounds a lot like Ephesians 4.15. We've talked about this a lot. I think every preacher here at Eastside has brought it up at some point in their sermon, uh, speaking the truth in love. It's pulled out of a passage in, Hebrew, in, in Ephesians 4 where he's talking about people getting along. How are we gonna get along? Because you may think this and they may think this and you do that and they do that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so what Paul said is that you gotta stand on the truth but you gotta do it in love. He's talking about a balance of position and compassion. Let me tell you something where I ran into that one time. And I thought of this when I was writing it. I hadn't thought about this story for years and years. This, this had, to be, had to be 30 years ago. And there were a couple ladies that attended the church that, that, that I preached at, and I had met them and they were younger gals, and, and just really, they seemed to really enjoy it. And so I got to talking with them, and they wanted to learn more. And I said, well, how about, how about I come and talk with you? Let's put a visit together. And so we arranged for this visit, and I uh, asked my wife to go with me, which was a good thing, okay? Um, and so Susan's with me. And we have one of the most amazing pastoral visits I've ever had. I mean, they fell in love with Jesus as we talked about it. I remember them weeping when we talked about the cross. They loved the church, the people, and man, they were just on fire. And so we arranged for their baptism the next week. And so they're gonna get baptized. And uh, I, was, I remember thinking, man, I wish every visit I ever do was like that. It was just so good. And we're about ready to leave, and one of the girls says, hey, I got a quick question before you leave. I said, what? And she said, is it gonna be a problem that we're lovers? Now, I wish there was a video on me because it might probably look like I swallowed my teeth. And I didn't see that from a million miles away. And we got in the car and my wife said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it the whole time. And I'm like, and as I look back at that, that, that time, I, I think we navigated that pretty good. I think if those girls were here, they would say, yeah, I, I think we navigated that really well from there. But I've learned a lot in those 30 years. And I want to show you something that I've learned. Put this up here so you can see it. When you are all position and no compassion, you will reach nobody. Who wants to be reached if all you do is tell them they're wrong with no heart? That does not work and some of y'all take that approach. Now, I've also learned this. Watch this. All compassion and no position, you don't help anybody. Well, let's just be nice, you know, do what you want to do. Just be kind. That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't work. Here's what works. Equal position, equal compassion takes our city. And so here's what we got to do, okay? We got to find out the problems Discover the problems, don't stick your head in the sand, and we figure out here's where God stands, it's where we stand, and we're gonna express it with the deepest level of compassion and love that we possibly can. Gang, that is good advice for marriages, that's good advice for parenting, that's good advice for leadership, and it's great advice for a church that wants to take their city. Now let me show you one more thing, we're gonna be done in just a couple minutes here. When I say a couple minutes, I tend to multiply, okay? So, but not, not too much here. Uh, the last thing I want you to see is just that it came up with a solution, okay? 
So they knew where they stood, where God stood. They, they talked about it compassionately. And they came up with a plan to fix it. And did you notice that we weren't given the plan? Did you notice that? The plan's not there. How did they do that? How did they effectively balance the distribution of food to every widow in a group of over 25? How in the world? We don't know. It's not there. But we know it worked. Because the seventh verse says this. And they started multiplying in numbers again. They started multiplying in numbers again. I had coffee one time with a pastor of a small church and I'll take you today where that church is. At this point in my life, I'm in my career, I, I love to meet with young pastors. I love that. Hopefully I can tell them a few mistakes I made that they won't make, and I just love doing that. I'm meeting with this younger pastor, and he said this to me. He goes, now, we don't want any more people in our church. I'd never heard anybody tell me that. We don't want any more. And I said, dude, you ain't got very many right now. He said, we don't want any more. And I, I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, we got our own little group here. Okay, I think they had about 35 people. We got our own little people here, you know. We come in here, we do our thing. And, and then I just tell them, okay, good luck to you. Go out there with the crazies and try to make it and then get back here where it's safe again next week. And that's exactly what they meant. That's exactly what they meant. And I can tell you that's not what God wants. Instead of just trying to go out there when you leave now and just survive, God wants you to go out there, know what your position is, and lace it with compassion and fix some problems. Old buddy Charles Rock knew about that. I miss Charlie. Charlie died a few years ago, well into his 80s. And... Uh, at his funeral, uh, the preacher got up and, you know, just talked good things about Charlie and uh, things from the family and friends. You, you, you all been there. And then he said, but his daughter-in-law wants to share something that really touched her heart about him. And so this girl gets up and she wants to talk about her father-in-law. And she says, uh, I think she called him dad, if I remember. She goes, dad did something that just drove us all up a wall and got us so frustrated. He would pick up hitchhikers. I mean, he's in his 80s, and he's, he picks up hitchhikers and gives them rides. And, and he said, we, we just tell him, don't do that, because we're thinking, man, that's going to be bad someday, and you're going to get somebody you shouldn't pick up. Don't do that. And, and he would say, whatever, I'm, I'm 80, I'm going to do what I want to do. I look so forward to that day, okay? Um, my wife would say I'm probably already there, but he just said whatever. So he just would pick up hitchhikers. And one day, they couldn't find him. And he was supposed to be home, and he wasn't there. And it was hours, and they just didn't know where he was at. And they're thinking the worst. He picked up some guy, and man, some bad's happened. And, and it went almost all day long. And then towards supper, he walks in the door, and his daughter is telling the story. And they're all gathered together. Where have you been? You picked somebody up? He goes, oh, yeah, I picked somebody up. I was giving them a ride. Well, where have you been all day? He said, well, when I picked him up, I didn't, I didn't know he was a Hispanic. And, and I couldn't, he couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak his language. And he couldn't tell me where he wanted to go, or he, just, he would just point. 
And we've been driving around the city all day looking for where he wanted to go. And, and she told that story. And she said, but the thing that gripped me is a couple weeks later, Charlie went to downtown Louisville at JCTC, Jefferson Community Technical College, and he enrolled at 81 years old in a Spanish course in case he ran into another Hispanic that needed a ride. That's figuring out your position, lace it with compassion, and come up with a solution. And if enough of us do that, we will take this city. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a group of people who, who patiently listen to the teaching. Thank you for that. And help us figure this out, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.